Hey everybody, welcome to That Will Never Work. When you look at social media these days, it seems like entrepreneurs live like rock stars. They bootstrapped out of the garage, but now it's jets and smiles all the way. But the truth is that being a founder can be one of the toughest tasks you'll ever face. Long hours and burnout are often the norm. Founding a business can put strain not just on your finances, but also on your physical and mental health. So why isn't the topic of startup stress more talked about? And when you're facing it, what should you do about it? And can you ever admit it to an investor? That's what this week's guest, Diego Chavez, the founder of app Local Contact, wants to talk about. I've also called in the expertise of best-selling author and mental health speaker, Susan Zinn, to help us dig into this question. Hi, I'm Mark Randolph, co-founder of Netflix and six other companies. Over the years, I've heard that will never work thousands of times, but I've learned there are things we all can do to increase the chances that they will. So join me for That Will Never Work. Welcome to the podcast, Diego, and welcome, Susan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really grateful to be here and having this conversation with both of you. Yeah, same. I'm really excited and happy to be here and be able to talk to you about this uh, important topic. Well, thanks, Diego. And I think a great way for us to kick this off is I'd love to get a better sense of what's going on. And I don't mean you need to jump into mental health issues in the <laughs> beginning. Tell us a little bit about the business, about what you were trying to solve, what you're doing, what success you've had, and then when you begin to recognize this may not may not all be uh, be fun and games. Yeah, for sure. So basically, local contact it's a it's a travel support community. How it works is a P two B a P two P model, and we use an affinity algorithm to match a traveler with a local contact on their destination. So this person, who we call the loco, short for local contact, will provide real time personalized remote support through the chat. In, in through the built-in chat in our app. Okay, so having a local when you travel is like having a trustworthy friend that perfectly knows the city you're visiting. He'll give you all of those local hacks, ways to save money, time, recommendations based on your particular, your particular needs for those particular moments, answer all of your questions and your doubts, and even help you out in case of any difficulties. And how's it going? Um, it's going really good now, but a couple of months ago, it, it all went dark. So, we started the project um, on January 2021, and we participated in a really famous accelerator that's known uh, worldwide, and it was really intense. So we needed to find like all of our unique economics and find product market fit. They made us work on a, on a beta app, and we invested a lot of money and time, and it was, it was chaotic. And a couple months after that, like I, I started feeling like, really down like the burn the burnout was terrible uh i i was experiencing experiencing the loss of one of my best friends um my previous company was being sued by one of mexico's largest corporations my co-founder was being poached by one of mexico's biggest startups and and it just like it seemed like nothing makes sense so i had to wake up every day and just like put a smile face and you get invited to pitch here and pitch there and you're supposed to raise money and go and talk to investors and as a founder you're always required to communicate that everything's going well like we're reaching our metrics we're, we're we're everything's perfect right and i think that's 
that, that really took a toll on me. And I think that's taking a toll on so many founders and the industry is like kind of uh, pushing founders to, to, to be this way. And then we, you have like so many cases that, that happen, like, like the, the WeWork case, Tyrannos and all of those. So yeah, I think uh, we're not talking enough about this. Well, just to, to, and to add, um, add additional weight to it, it's the industry certainly puts pressure for success. You know, one of the, when you do a, a when, you, when you do an incubator, for example, they do expect certain things from you and you take money, they expect certain things from you. So there's certainly those internal pressures and there's certainly the external pressures. I mean, I alluded to the fact there's TV shows about entrepreneurship, there's movies and they project this certain, um, stees where basically, oh, it's all going easy and it's reasonably effortless. And I think a lot of us who work in the pits of it are saying, why is this not as easy as it looks like it is for everybody else? And you kind of feel like you're completely, uh, completely alone. I mean, I don't know. I, I definitely got the sense I was almost having a little bit of PTSD as you were beginning to describing all these, uh, these things you were struggling with. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was terrible. I, I'm like, it's like you hear it, but you don't realize it until you experience it, that it's a really lonely place to be. You cannot talk and you cannot be honest about how you feel to almost anyone because then you're being weak. And if you're being weak as a founder, as a leader, then it's harder to get money. It's harder to hire a proper team. It's uh, harder to get um, clients and, and customers. So it's, it's hard. Well, I have some thoughts. Obviously, they're specific to entrepreneurship, but uh, Susan, I get the impression that these sorts of dynamics are not unique to entrepreneurs, not unique to founders. Absolutely. I think so many people are struggling, particularly now after the pandemic. One in five people have experienced mental health issues in their lifetime, let alone now we have been all been through a global trauma. So this has been such a tough time for people. Then add on entrepreneurship or a startup and then additional pressure. And the National Institute of Mental Health has actually uh, done, done a recent study about 72% of entrepreneurs are struggling with their mental health right now. Wow. So that's a really high percentage and it's not something that we're talking about. And that's why this conversation is so important for people to really take down that veil and have real honest conversations about how do we move forward and how do we really protect our founders so that they're really performing optimally and these companies are being set up for success versus we're worrying about failure because you're not thinking clearly, you're making good decisions because you're struggling with mental health issues. One of the things is interesting, you're talking about COVID and certainly the impact that's had on everyone's mental health. And I think what one of the things that accentuated that was the sense of isolation, that people were all locked in their houses, you know, quite literally for uh, months, if not years on end. And it's funny because uh, as uh, Diego knows, being an entrepreneur is a very lonely profession, even in the best of times, because there is this feeling that if I'm struggling with something, I can't tell my team. I can't show weakness to my team, nor can I call up my biggest investor and say, I'm really having a hard time. You can talk to other your peers, but they don't really understand the problem. It's more of the superficially they do. And you get this feeling that there's nobody who A, understands really what I'm dealing with, and there's no one that I can talk to about it. And I think what's happened is now we've seen more and more and more people who are all of a sudden in that exact same uh, 
exact same boat. I mean, you did, what, uh, what did you do? So I, there was this one day that everything, like, I, I was like, this is enough. Like, I can't take it anymore. And I talked to my, to my founding team and I was like, I'm, I'm going to stop for now. I need some time off. And I, and I actually took some time off. I, I started going to therapy, something that it, it's hard, like, to accept that you need to go to therapy. Like, like people, like, there's some stigma about therapy and that it's like, you're, you're wrong, like, you're sick or something. So, so I decided to go to therapy and it, it worked a lot, like, talking about it with somebody that's completely, um, like, he, like, somebody that doesn't know you at all. It helped me and I started working a lot on, on myself. So a lot of time for me and I started exercising a lot more. Um, I, I invested a lot of time on me and I took the pressure off the project. So there was this, this time, like, like a couple of months ago that I was like, this is it, I'm going to quit. So I'm, I'm going to pull the plug on the project and, uh, but you always listen and everybody talks about about not quitting and about always uh one step at a time and resilience and moving forward but eventually there has to be projects that that should quit and as a founder how do you know how do i how do you identify that particular moment when the the correct answer is to quit yeah it is one of the most asked questions um, in entrepreneurship, which is when do I give up? But interestingly enough, it's usually not asked in the context of I'm at my I'm at my end. Usually, it's this is so hard, uh, I can't figure it out. Everything I try doesn't work. In other words, it's more they're asking it more. Do I quit trying to solve this problem? And that one I usually say is a false false question that you almost never give up. I mean, you always just try some different approach, or someone forces you to give up. The personal one, I think, is different. Uh, if your company fails, it's not the end of the world. Uh, most people have had a failed company. Uh, and I'm not glorifying it, but it's the reality. And it is not like you have a scarlet letter for the rest of your life and you're unemployable. And No, you just gather yourself up and you start another company. You hurt yourself. Uh, I don't mean physically hurt yourself, but I mean you damage yourself. You break. You 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 divorce your 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 partner. You drive your kids away. You you create this tremendous damage to your life. Those things are almost irreparable. Um, and so my feeling is you have to be willing to walk away and prioritize what are the things that are important. Um, you know, I didn't, I never got to the point where I had to quit something, but I certainly got to the point where I said, I'm not going to do this again. Um, I mean, I was, was mistaken. I ended up doing it again, but I really was committed. I'm not going to do this again. Uh, despite this huge feel, draw that you do to wanting to start a company, but then you recognize the toll that takes. And at the point, this was after Netflix, I go, I no longer want that. I want other things in my life like that. I mean, is, is there some is there some simple some answer you might have for how to figure out when to uh, when to walk away? I think you said that beautifully. You really have to decide at what cost in your life, and 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 if if it's worth it for you, simply because um, your health and well being and your family are never worth a startup company, and so that that has to be 
you know, if you're not finding joy in it anymore, or you don't feel it's purposeful or it's affecting your health, well-being or your family, it's time to call it quits. And I think you have to really have that moment with yourself of saying this is just not working. And Mark, you beautifully illustrated that. I have an even a, a simpler way of saying it is that almost always we overestimate the impact of um, actions. Uh, and it can be writ small. You say, oh, if we test this and it doesn't work, it's a disaster. Or, wow, if we change the pricing with these customers, they're going to kill us. I mean, you always think, you always catastrophize the, what might happen if something goes wrong. And it's exactly the same with business failure. People really believe it's the end of the world. I've tanked this company. I've, I'll never get funding again. I mean, you hit the long, long list and it's the same as all the others. The, the, the results are never as dramatic as you think they are. And I'm, I'm mentioning that because that is part of the calculus that goes into how long I hang in. Uh, it's usually not I'm hanging in because I think I can turn it around. It's I'm hanging in because I'm really, really scared of the consequences of walking away. I think that's a huge point too, is the fear part. Right, because we the uncertainty is what keeps us going and staying stuck in the same patterns versus trusting that there's going to be a better side and you will be able to figure it out on the other side of it. Yeah, it's true. It's it's it's, it's it is. It's a lot of it is fear. It's that it, it's what it's the single biggest reason people don't start, and it's the single biggest reason people don't finish. They're scared of what that says or what that means. And that was exactly what happened to me. Like I, like I went to bed every day. I'm like. I, I, I should quit, but I was too afraid of, of admitting it to myself and to everybody out there. Like people ask you about it and you're like, how am I, how am I going to tell them that, that it didn't work? So I, I decided against it. And, and fortunately this, this time it actually worked and it, it picked up, but, but it, it's just. Did you struggle Diego about telling investors or telling your board or telling people that you were struggling? Um, yeah, a, a lot, like, um, at, at the end of this, this incubation period, uh, you're, 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 you, you pitch to different, uh, VCs in Mexico and, um, my lead mentor, like I, I went up to him before the pitch and I'm like, I, I'm not feeling well, like I, I'm, I'm not, I shouldn't be doing this. And he's like, okay, you got this, your pitch is perfect. The company is, is, is the project really well, but just you have to to hide it from them because if they find out that you're you're not well mentally then they they will run away with the money they won't give you money and like that was like that was scary like <laughs> okay so I'm, I'm just gonna pretend that i'm okay so they give me money and what am i gonna do with that money when i get it if i'm not okay and that was probably one of the tipping points that i decided oh this is it i'm not going to follow this path anymore so yeah, I think it's it, it's such a it's such a interesting relationship. I mean, you were confronted with this before you took the money, so lucky yeah. <laughs> in a sense, because a lot of people are struck with it after they have the money, and so they have a board of directors or they have their lead investors, and they feel they can't say anything. Uh, and that's such a tragedy because, you know, it, it, in other circumstances, of course, by not re, re, uh, 
exposing your vulnerability, you don't get help. You don't allow anyone to help you take the steps that you might be to mitigate what might be a troubling situation and make it into a disastrous one. There's, there's advice that I give to founders all the time, which I'm thinking to myself, would it apply here? And I'm going to say yes, which is that people don't mind if there's problems. They really don't. Problems happen all the time. In fact, if you are talking to a startup and everything seems to be going well, well, that means they're not telling you everything. Um, and so you get very used to someone being able to come to you. And what you're looking for is not necessarily, I don't, I don't want them to ever come to me with a problem. What you're looking for is that they have the problem under control. That they have said, and, and I'll, I'll use a very specific example, probably the most extreme case, I really question whether I have what it takes to run this business. Uh, which would be a horrifying thing to tell to an investor who um, had bet because of you. And, but you have to be vulnerable and say that's the case. But there's the second piece to it. And you go, and here's what I'm doing about it. Um, I've spoken to my COO and he's willing to pick this up. I need to take some time. Here's how I'm going to cover while I'm gone. In other words, they're looking for, are your hands on the wheel? Yeah. Um, and then you've basically formed a partnership with your investors, with your board, with your advisors to help navigate what's really a brutally hard, uh, brutally hard thing. I mean, honesty is the key to all this. So is that the simplest uh, way to put it here? Absolutely. And also what you're talking about is that vulnerability of really creating that partnership. And, and the other step is really about what the plan is, because that actually allows the whole family system within companies and the investors to really go, all right, we're all getting into coherence. There's a problem, but we're going to stay calm. We're going to logically know how to take the next steps. And sometimes through that, beautiful opportunities can come from that. There's growth. There's actually like innovation. There's creativity because there's, there, has to, there has to be a pivot from what actually the direction you were going before. So oftentimes that, that becomes just these amazing opportunities to really grow into something even better than you thought before. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because it also works in reverse that if you are the investor or more likely you're the manager or the director or the CEO and you have someone on your team who's struggling, they, you know they're struggling, they know they're struggling and sometimes having that conversation is not awkward or uncomfortable. You can just see the relief on the person's face. Um, being able to go to someone and say, you're over your head. Um, and let's figure out how we're going to address this. Um, and people, you can just see it. They're relieved that they're not being expected to do this alone, that, that help is on the way. So, so, so I'm, I'm coming back to your 72% uh, mm -hmm. number, which I, took me a few seconds to sink in. I mean, three out of four mm -hmm. entrepreneurs, I mean, is, and you would never guess that, is it because, of, is there really the stigma still of uh, sharing with, with that? Or uh, kind of would hope that's changed somewhat now, but. There's a lot of factors. I mean, I think that yes, post COVID is clearly being a factor. Um, the lack of isolation, the lack of community and isolation that you sort of talked about that sort of startups are sort of designed for either being singly or owned businesses or kind of working in small teams where there's sort of not a lot of community and support. And the other factor is really wiring people that are really kind of 
able to take risks this way that oftentimes that they may feel like the adrenaline is sort of keeping them going. And there's real, as you pointed out, there's sort of this badge of honor of sleepless nights and, um, you know, over scheduling. And that's really what you sort of define success being for being as an entrepreneur. And so those things can really get you into trouble. And I think that's where we really have to start to kind of redefine what it looks like to be in a startup and look what it looks like to be a founder and entrepreneur where we're really putting mental wellness as a high priority. So there's really, there's two pieces here, which is kind of interesting. And if I can keep it straight in my head long enough to lay them both out. So, you know, one of them is the sense of what is required of someone who's in a startup. Um, the hustle porn is just a horrible thing. The sense that what we do is work all the time. And that the people who are successful are the ones who work all the time. Um, and then you multiply it by this artificial sense of what success is. That success is defined by how big your company gets or how rich you get. Or all these things which I'll be the, I'll be the first to admit are <laughs> fake, unobtainable. That it's like saying I'm going to move to, we're here in Los Angeles taping this, but I'm going to move to Los Angeles because I'm going to be a famous uh, actor or actress. Well, no, you're not. Uh, almost no one ends up being a famous mm -hmm. actor and actress. If you come here because you really love acting, great, you'll get to act. Um, but if you think that the only reason you're doing it is for this pinnacle, you're going to be disappointed. And I can clearly see dramatically more than 75% of entrepreneurs being disappointed. Um, but I think the second thing is that no one knows about these simple tips. Uh, it's so funny because in some ways, the reason I do this uh, is that I've had 40 years of startup experience and I can share some of these tips for starting companies. So I now feel I have this evidence-based um, method of helping people overcome some of these business challenges. But it's funny because I've never really gone back and examined a lot of the stuff that I've done for mental health. Um, I mean, some of them I talk about in the book and, you know, one is obviously one of them is leaving work, you know, getting out at five o'clock every Tuesday, um, prioritizing relationships, prioritizing the stuff that I knew made me happy, which is the climbing and the biking and the surfing and, and those sort of things. And coming to this realization that, I did not need to do everything, that in fact, it was a huge 80-20 at work, that if I picked the right things and got them, the rest of it could be left sloppy and undone. But this was just stuff that I randomly stumbled onto. I mean, I'm, is there kind of a science now of, the, of, of this that people can save the 40 years of aggravation I went through to figure this out on my own? <laughs> <laughs> well, and the first piece is really humor. I think humor is one of the best things you can do to really build resilience. And so when you're starting a company and you are working long hours and there's mistakes and the only way we learn is through failure, right? Is by making errors. So having a good sense of humor, which clearly Mark, you're, you're exhibiting here and really kind of just saying, all right, you know, stuff happens sometimes and how are we going to get through it is a great way for you just to kind of take some stress off. But there really is a lot of evidence-based science now to really talk about performance and human performance. And the more we are kind of getting into it, the more we're really seeing kind of key factors that really can set people up for success. Um, number one, it's something that I really like that's super simple is literally getting up within the first 30 minutes of wake and going for a walk. 
getting direct sunlight and actually literally the bilateral stimulation of walking is actually helps your brain and that little almond part that you sort of talked about with the stress of your amygdala of really kind of de-escalating your stress in the morning. And the cool thing that we're finding now is it increases our creativity by 60%. So that if you actually get up and create this structure of getting up, walking in the first 30 minutes, being out for 20 minutes, let's say coming back and doing about 90 minutes of concentrated work, which is as much as our brain can kind of handle, uninterrupted, which means no cell phones. Because as soon as you put a cell phone in your hand, that it takes your brain 23 minutes to refocus on whatever you're doing. So it's going to keep sending you back every single time you check your text. So really kind of concentrating and setting that for success. And that you're going to be so much more efficient with your time. You're going to be more effective. You're going to be able to think clearer. And you're actually just going to feel better. So that's something super simple. And the more people kind of are starting to do these things of optimizing their health and their well-being, they're going to be better at their jobs. Yeah, we kind of also need these role models, I guess, of people who don't, I won't say don't take it seriously, because you have to take it seriously. There is inherent stresses. I mean, I don't know. Did you, were there things that you did that you thought, besides just leaving, were there things you thought you were doing that actually felt you were on the right track? At the moment, no, but eventually <laughs> we we found them. And it's it's interesting that you say that, because like during this incubator period, we actually got assigned like different uh, types of mentors, right? So you always get like the finance mentor and the the marketing mentor and like growth mentor and everything, right? And like at the beginning of this year, I found like a mental health mentor, and like I, I was like, this guy is great. Like he he focuses on on you as a founder, right? And I, I'm like, this should be a thing. Like everybody in, in a startup <laughs> should have a mental health mentor, like. Venture capitals and incubators should have like mental health mentors for their, their startups. And so that helped me a lot. That's a fantastic idea. And you're right. I don't, I mean, it could be, I'm just a little out of touch here, but that's a fantastic thing to be providing to, uh, to founders is someone to, to do those things, to, to tell them it's okay, or to give them the tips about uh, what you can do to make your life less stressful. Okay. I mean, because listen, the reality is it, it's a, it's a, it is a hard business. I mean, it is inherently stressful uh, because there are times when, I mean, a lot of those things were not, were mental health reactions, not necessarily, you couldn't have said, I'm, uh, I, here's a technique to not have my co-founder quit. Here's a technique not to have a business which was reliant in some degree on travel all of a sudden dry up. So there, it's a lot of this is basically building these tools to help us deal with the inherent stresses of doing things that haven't been done before and doing things that everyone says will never work and, and all that. But just having a coach sounds like a, uh, a great idea. Yeah, and it, it worked really great. And basically this guy, what he says, like, I'm the person you can be completely honest to. Like, you don't have to keep appearances uh, for me any, or anything, right? And he's like, just remember why you started doing this. And like, do, do you actually want to get like all of your milestones and your unit economics and all that? Or do you do it because you actually love traveling? I'm like, yeah, exactly. So do you care if you reach a million users or do you, are you okay with just giving 10, 20, 50, hundred services? I'm like, yeah, I'm okay with that. And from there it's, it's been growing. So it, it's actually like the less stress you, I, I put it on the project, it, the best it, it, it worked. 
That's fantastic. It's it's this lesson of be careful what you wish for, uh, and just make sure you wish for the the right things. Yeah, it's you're right. You don't does not need. You, you may be a person who says, "I want to do a million. I want I want the growth and the scale, and that's what's important to me personally." Or you go, "No, that's not why I got in this uh, at all." You kind of end up uh, end up feeling trapped. I mean, what what about the idea of finding this whole stigma against the therapy? I think that's changing a lot, especially post-pandemic now that more and more people are really seeking support. And it's a little secret, but lots of founders actually use people like myself to help them that we go in with corporations and really work on the mental wellness. That is something that's really growing. And we've seen that now more than ever. More and more companies are really wanting to make sure the health and well-being of their employees are really because it affects their performance. And, um, and so there's a really this big shift that's happening, I think, in lots of businesses and corporations at this point. But um, it's something that we're always working on. I think it's getting better and easier because people are realizing what the need is after what we've all been through. But it's still hard, you know, for people to kind of get vulnerable. But we know that the best leaders are really ones that are authentic. And they're coming from empathy and compassion where they're making other people feel human as well, too, because we're all having a human experience. And so I think sometimes the more vulnerable we are with what's going on with us, then that really sets up others to kind of take the lead and say, you know what, I actually share the same experience or this is what's going on with me and how can we make things better and what kind of support and help do you really need as well, too, which is so important. Yeah, that I mean, that that whole what you said resonated, which is that it's not just making you successful, but making you success. These things ripple out through the whole organization. Not only the organization, but you got to think about then families and their communities, and then it goes on and on and on. So really having people sort of focus on sort of how are they as an individual, what is the energy and what's their vibration and that ripple that affects is really important. Yes. And so these, there's such a weird focus on this, on, building these great startup cultures and people again sometimes think well that just means i need to have a bar or i need to have a fireman pole or mm-hmm. i need to have a nap pod or somewhere amenity but in some ways as i think back i think a lot of the reasons people liked working at some of the companies that i was part of was nothing to do with those things but more with the humor more with the fact that i said it was important to leave to get away from work and then demonstrated it was permissible by actually not permissible, but I wasn't just stealing the words, but actually doing it um, and kind of creating these, these said it was okay to take care of yourself, I guess. Wish I'd known when I, when I, uh, I wish I'd had this conversation 40 years ago. That would have saved me a lot of, uh, a lot of angst. It's funny. I mean, I mean, really, I'm, I'm flashing back and going, I got to learn a lot of stuff, but I learned it by trial and error. And didn't realize, it's one of those things where you always look back. I mean, looking back when I was writing the book was such a revelatory experience for me because it forces you to confront, are the things that you did, uh, the things you think were successful, were they successful because of you or in spite of you? Uh, And the things that went wrong, was that because of you or in spite of you? What really was your impact? What did you do that was good and what was bad? And I never really examined the stuff that we're talking about today, which is what impact I had on my own ability to make it, make it through and what I may have been doing for the other people. I mean, the humor part's easy. 
(laughs) (laughs) It's so important (laughs) and underutilized too (laughs) as well. Yeah. I I mean, and the thing is, it's funny. I I never thought about it with the mental health benefit. It was for me, it was always, you want it to be a place where people enjoy being and having people there who are funny or clever or make other people laugh or entertain them. Um, ha- pays these benefits way beyond um, what the work they may be doing. Um, but you have to understand also biologically what's happening when you're laughing or you're connecting in that way too. Well, so literally even something like smiling, even if you don't feel like it, actually changes your brain chemistry. And so that actually can just make you feel better. So these are simple little things that you know we, we do unconsciously or consciously, and it can just make us feel better but humor and is also that great connector that you feel really present with another human and that's so important because in the work when you especially in entrepreneurial culture where you feel so lonely or alone and having a laugh or shared experience with someone that just makes you feel amazing can really just allow you to kind of compound that feeling and try to pick it up in different ways because our vibration and our energy grows when we sort of are kind of in those beautiful states, right? Versus if we're in agitation or irritation or anxiety or depression, those are all depleting our energy versus humor and joy and appreciation and care and love. Those actually all give us energy and we only have so much energy every day. So, so, so uh, Diego, you, you're, you seem, you saw me being very introspective here about going, God, what did I do that worked and didn't work? Um, if you started another company tomorrow, how differently would you do it? Um, completely different. I, I would try to avoid all of those uh, examples that we, we, we're seeing, like um, making a beautiful presentation and going to pitching events and participating in incubators and applying to, to Y Combinator and then uh, raising as much money as you can because uh, a big valuation is mixed means that you're successful and then hiring and overpaying your team and then uh, paying customers to be your customers, I, I would avoid all of that. I would just try to grow the, the idea itself and, and keep it steady and ha- be happy while you're doing it. And if, if that actually grows to be th- something, then I'm okay with that. By the way. And let me ask you a related question. So local contact still going. Oh, yeah. So you're going to start growing again, like you said it is, and you're going to hire some people, supposedly. Yep. How are you going to you do that differently? Or are you? Is, the, is, is who you hire going to change? Or is what you tell people what the, what the company is like? Are you going to warn people? I want to say yes. I think it's going to be hard to, to do it. Like, getting people to to jump in your project on your project and believe on in your vision of the company without overselling the the idea it's it's hard but i i definitely don't want to be like lying or like masking the truth to anybody is this leads into something i never talk about from this direction we talk about company culture all the time and people always think, uh, I have to do a culture deck. I have to do a presentation about what my culture is. 
And the reason we always bring it up is because people think that's something you do that creates the culture. So whenever I talk about a culture deck, I'm basically dispelling what it's about. I go, this is not, culture is not what you say. It's what you do. But there is a really, really good reason to have culture decks. And that is exactly, your lead-in is exactly why, which is to give people who are considering joining the company a view of what this company is about. And it's a great place to communicate that if, in fact, we, this is not about get rich quick. This is not about we all work ridiculously hard. This is about something different. And I realize I have to make, you were saying to yourself, I realize I have to make this real, that just writing it down is not what's going to create it. What I'm writing it down for is so someone comes in um, eyes wide open. or in some cases goes, uh, I'm looking for that. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Like we, we hear in the, in the startup world, like, oh yeah, the culture is everything. So you have to, to define your culture. And I don't think culture is something that you can define. It's something that it is, and that's it. And, and <laughs> culture is made by the people in the, in, the, in the project. So if the founding team is, and, and you've talked about this in, in other episodes of the, of the podcast, but if the founding team is like, let's say X or, or Y, then the rest of the team is going to be that way. So, but every hire builds to, towards the culture that, that eventually will be of the company. It's not what the, the, the culture that you want to be, it's, it's it's defined. So. I totally get it. Yeah, it, it is who you are. And all yeah. you can do is be, cons it, the, the influence you have is being consistent and having, if you say, I really like the fact that we're X is making sure you stay that. I, th this is actually incredibly cool for me. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about things really differently, but I have a perfect question for you. And maybe you, you're probably more in touch with this than I, and it has to do with new employees. I, those of you who are watching this in video know that I'm kind of an old man at this point. <laughs> old man, old man of the valley. Um, people are different now. Young people are different now. They have very, very different expectations. Uh, we're, Diego and I have kind of been riffing on the fact that, gosh, you, you, I'm kind of wired to want to come in and work really, really hard. Um, and I've got to tell myself to, to chill. Is that changing? Are people now coming, joining companies with this expectation that, no, I, I'm, I don't, I'm not going to work that hard. That's just not, and notice, and rather than me knocking how all these, all these young people, they just don't want to work anymore <laughs> and all their, is that, was, is that, is that a dynamic? Is it a good dynamic? I don't think that's actually accurate, but I do think that you, what you're pointing to is something super important. And what people want now is they want to feel connected and they want to feel leaders that are actually empathetic and actually allow them to feel like they care. And so what young people really want now is to feel like they're behind something that's bigger than themselves. And so if you're leading from a place of actually really being human and seeing people as humans versus robots and they're just doing this work and they have to do the hours, you're going to get a lot more people that want to get behind whatever you're doing. And you actually exude passion for what you're doing 
I feel it. I think we both feel it just in the room. So you being authentic with that and really saying, you know what, I think we're solving a problem for the travel industry. I think that we're doing something really cool. It's going to be hard work. It's going to be long hours, but I promise you we're going to be in it together as a team. And this is something that we're also passionate about is really going to change to get younger people more motivated to come on your team than if you're like punch in and punch out. Right. And you're seeing that with a lot of these big corporations like Netflix or others that are really changing that culture too to really make people feel sort of excited and passionate about what they're doing. And it's paying off because people are happy where they're employed as well. What's one of the silver linings of the whole COVID situation is it's given us this reset where we can begin to think, well, maybe you don't need to be in the office all the time. Maybe there are other, maybe we can work from our vacation locations. Maybe we can have this much, much better balance between the rest of our lives and our work lives. Or have a dog. You know, I'm hearing a lot of dogs in the office these days too, which is incredibly great for our stress levels. Right. right? So I'm getting, so I laugh, get out and walk, have a dog. (laughs) Yes. Okay. I'm three for three. Yes. 12 glasses of water a day. 12. Yes. (laughs) So good hydration and nutrition, (laughs) what you're putting into your body and your gut health is super important. So these are just basics though. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I, th- I think it's I think it's I think it's fascinating. I mean, and I, you know, I, I, I have so much, uh, I guess, respect for you, Diego, for actually. Well, two things. One is saying let's raise this, let's talk about this, um, but also the fact that you got to this point and said I'm going to do something about it. Right. You know, I'm going to change my behavior, and I'm going to say, all right, if I have this balance of there's me who is on the verge of breaking down, and the company, I'm going to pick me, and I'm going to build a company now that fits long-term, that's sustainable, uh, to use that, uh, that term in a different way. I think that's really, uh, really impressive. Thank you. Thank you. So what are, we, what are we missing here, Susan? I mean, I think that the important part, too, is really that what I love to hear from your story is that you're no longer living in scarcity of fear, but you're living in abundance. And the fact is, when we start to live in that place, then everything starts to make sense because our nervous systems are calmed down and we're not fearful of like making a mistake or losing everything, but we're coming from this place of joy and passion and the reason why you started the company to begin with. And that is actually going to make people attracted to what you're doing and customers that want to be part of it. And it's going to feel differently. And so I like to say, I always let's get out of our brains and our nervous systems and down to our heart. And if we start to communicate and we start working from that place, you're going to be so much more successful because it's that's always going to be the right place to go, and you're going to be guided from your intuition, which is your higher learning. Yeah, and I think the responsibility that at least you and I have is that um, we have to model a behavior which pushes back against this popular culture of uh, success is growth at any cost. Success is working all the time. Success is the private jets and the, the parties and model the fact that no success is doing what you love. Uh, success is having time to spend with your friends and your family and success is time to recognize what it is that you're, uh, um, what makes you whole and have the opportunity um, to do it. And I think the more, more that you and I and everyone else listening who has this style of business um, can do that, it just demonstrates that, wow, you can, you don't need to be a dick about this. You don't need to work yourself to death. I mean, it, we all know 
that that model of you know you you you, you go I'm gonna do all these things when I retire, and then when you retire, you're too old to do all those things. But you still have to figure out how to find the balance because if you don't do anything, um, you miss out on some of the excitement of building a business, which does require some level of stress and some some level of uncertainty and some level of disappointment. And I think it's putting all those things in uh, in balance, which uh, it's hard. Um, and with help, uh, hopefully we can uh, get better at it. And be in love with the process too, right? Yeah. Um, this is this has been really really uh, helpful. So, I, Diego, thank you very much for raising it. Um, uh, just last night at dinner, as I was talking about what this conversation was going to be, I'm going, God, I'm this is I'm kind of scared about this. I and uh, I go, no, don't worry, you you know you know what this feels like, uh, and it's a perfect thing. And so, thank you for for bringing it up. Really great. And, and Susan, really a big thanks to you for coming on and. Uh, lending us your viewpoint on this it's great to know that we're not alone uh again i'm still hang hankering back to that 74 percent number holy crap yeah. that we're not alone but more importantly that there's plenty of stuff that we can do to try and manage uh, manage that and have a healthy life thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it it's been an honor to spend this time with both of you and really raising such an important question and 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 issues for so many people so i know you're really going to help a lot of people Thank you both. Thank you so much. Well, thanks, everybody. This was great. Being an entrepreneur can feel like a hard choice at times. And I hope in listening to today's discussion, you've heard information that will help you and your team stay resilient in your own business journey. For information about Susan, you can head to SusanZinTherapy.com. For more information on Diego's company, go to low-co.app. If you enjoyed today's podcast and you want to learn more, I encourage you to read my book, That Will Never Work, The Birth of Netflix and the Amazing Life of an Idea. It's coming out on paperback on June 7th, but it's available now for pre-order. And did you know there's also a video version of what you heard today? Check it out at YouTube forward slash Mark Randolph. New episodes every Tuesday. Got a question? Then what about joining me as a guest on the show? Paddle over to markrandolph.com forward slash guest. And while you're there, add your name to my mailing list so I can dribble some entrepreneurial hints, tips, and secrets into your inbox. And finally, if you're like me and have the attention span of a goldfish, follow me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and yes, even TikTok. There's going to be some awesome book giveaways to celebrate the paperback edition. group.